be with you. I'm going to kind of center up a little more. And uh, there we go. Genesis 21, and then Galatians chapter 4. We'll probably do Galatians 1, and then we'll do... You remember Ephesians 1? We talked about it Sunday. If I were to give you an assignment, verses 17 and following, uh, some of the most beautiful and amazing, encouraging words. And uh, there's life in this word. So... I believe I've really felt compelled to talk some more about this, um, the law and the grace and, and how that Jesus came not to condemn the world. Remember, he said, I didn't come to condemn the world, but that the world through me might be saved. That word saved is, there's a, two words, sozo and soteria, salvation, which has to do with not Jesus bringing us back to as Adam was, but bringing us to a better place than Adam was. And so when Jesus told Martha in John 11, I am the resurrection and the life. And when we think about eternal life, we always think about well, one day when I die and I go to heaven, I'll have eternal life, but I want to. I want to propose to you that we already have it. We're, we're not. It's something we can live with the knowledge that we're living in a temporary world, sure. But it's very important that I share with you the Christocentric message, which is Christ-centered. I want to tell you that Jesus is the center of everything we talk about, yeah. and and he, he must be the center. He's the life. He said in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that life is, it's eternal life. It's, it's living to the full. So in Genesis 21, we find the story of Abraham and Sarah. Remember chapter 12, he calls him out of Ur of the Chaldees, which Abraham was an idolater. He, he wasn't saved when God called him. <laughs> he, he wasn't saved. God called him out of Ur of the Chaldees. And we see here a, a beautiful picture of how God is going to redeem everything in Abram's life. He's going to redeem it and he's going to reveal himself to Abram in a way that's going to change Abram's identity. He's not going to be just Abram. He's going to be Abraham, the father of many nations. And so on our, in our lifetime, I don't care where you are. I know there's a lot of distractions, a lot of complications. We talked about complications. And, and, uh, but, but you understand that Jesus, he, when we focus on him and we walk in the grace that's available to us, we become like Paul when he was in prison writing to the church at Philippi. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Another 
phrase he uses in prison is the word of God is not bound. That means that I believe what we speak has very powerful implications and I believe it becomes life. That's why the, the psalmist said, he satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. That's not what goes in. That's what comes out. He satisfies my mouth with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. So let's read from the Passion Translation in Genesis 21, a few verses, and we'll go to Galatians 4. And, uh, and we know that, once again, let me... You'll hear me use the name of God, but actually that's not his name. His name is Yahweh. And when you read God in the, Gen in the Genesis account, in the beginning God, that's Elohim, which is plural. It's not just one, one person. And, and we're not here. And I want to really encourage you to, to grab hold of this because God needed us. We're here because he wanted us. And uh, he still does. And he hadn't changed his mind. So it says, Yahweh visited Sarah, just as he said he would, and fulfilled his promise to her. And Sarah conceived and bore Abram, Abraham a son in his old age. He's 100 years old. At the exact time God had promised them. Abraham named his son Isaac, the miracle son whom Sarah bore him, when Isaac was eight days old. Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And when you see that word laugh, it means Isaac Yitzhak is the Hebrew word, which is Isaac. It means laughter. But in the past tense, it could be translated delayed laughter. So if you had a baby after turning 100, you might laugh too. <laughs> I probably would. I might laugh and cry. After 40. Uh, yeah, after 40. Yeah, yeah. That's, <laughs> that's amazing. So when you notice the details of Isaac's birth and how they foreshadow the birth of our Lord Jesus, that's what this is. It's a foreshadowing of a son of promise. And both sons were the promised seed, but... I want you to notice something. Who would ever have told Abraham that Sarah would one day nurse a children? Even though Abraham is an old man, look, I've given him a son. Sarah's talking here. Isaac grew, was weaned, and on the day Sarah weaned him, Abraham prepared a great feast. That was on the day he was weaned. But Sarah noticed the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, was mocking her son. That word mocking, uh, it, it's, it's built on the root stem from the name Isaac. And it's possible to translate it jesting or playing or making fun of Isaac. Regardless, Sarah saw it as a threat to her son. So she said, get rid of this slave woman and her son. Banish them from the son of that slave woman must not become a co-heir with my son Isaac. Now notice, Abraham was very upset over Sarah's demand, for Ishmael was his son too. That's right. That's right. God spoke to Abraham 
Don't be distressed over the slave woman and her son. Listen to every word Sarah says to you and do it. Wow. So God was in agreement with Sarah. For it will be through Isaac, your promise of descendants will be fulfilled. Now let's go over to Galatians chapter 4, 21. Paul is writing to the church at Galatia because and they're probably young Christians. They, these are, they could be young Christians. And, and so there were, there were these, and I want you to notice what, what he says to him. We'll go back to chapter one in a moment. Um, but he says in, chap, in chapter four of Galatians, verse 21, tell me, do you want to go back to living strictly by the law? Haven't you ever listened to what the law really says? Have you forgotten that Abraham had two sons? One by the slave girl and the other by the free woman. The free woman being Sarah. Ishmael, the son of the slave girl, was born of the natural realm. Why? Remember, Hagar was Sarah's idea. And Abraham became intimate with Sarah's idea. This was not God's idea. This was not in his plan. So it says, Ishmael, the son of the slave girl, was born in the natural realm. He was born, uh, the, the son of the free woman, Isaac, was born supernaturally by the Spirit, a child of the promise of God. These two women and their sons express an allegory. An allegory is like uh, something that reveals a truth. And in uh, like fashion, and become symbols of two covenants. Remember, we talked about covenant. A covenant is not a contract. A covenant is, and God's a covenant-keeping God. A contract is when we you sign an agreement that says, "If you do what you're supposed to do, I'll do what I'm supposed to do." And religion has got us all caught up in that. I, I know for me, it was. Like there was a mixture that there's something you've got to do so God can love you, so that you can get close to God. And, and so I want you to watch this unfold. He says, now covenant is so much different than a contract because it's the total giving of, a, of oneself to another. That's what covenant is like marriage. It's totally giving oneself to another. And that's what God did. So he says, they're symbols of two covenants. The first covenant was born on Mount Sinai. Remember, that's where the law was given. Birthing children into slavery. Children born to Hagar. Now, why would he say that if at Mount Sinai, the children of Israel had just been delivered out of Egypt? Why would he say that these are Children, birthing children into slavery because he, Paul is saying the law will bring you into slavery. That's what happened at Mount Sinai because the people, the Bible said children born to Hagar. For Hagar represents the law given at Mount Sinai in Arabia. The Hagar metaphor corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem of today who are currently in bondage. And I can tell you when I was there, and, and that's been in 06, I'll never forget, being there and seeing all the different religions 
um, and, and all the different representations there and, and those religions, do, do, you, you do know that uh, when you think about the, the other religions that Jesus didn't come to start a new religion. He came to do away with every religion and start relationship. That's what covenant is. And he says, he says, this is, Hagar is a metaphor that corresponds to the earthly Jerusalem who are currently in bondage. In contrast, there's a heavenly Jerusalem above us, which is our true mother. She is the free woman birthing children into freedom. Now he starts in this chapter, chapter five, Galatians chapter five, he, talk, he tells us to stand fast in the liberty and the freedom that God has made us free in. So Paul is showing that the law is a system of works that brings bondage that the promise, and the promise is a system of grace that brings freedom. So, so the law is a system of works that brings bondage and the promise is a system of grace that brings freedom. So that's quite a contrast. For it's written, burst forth with gladness. This is Isaiah 54, if you want to know where it's found. Rejoice, O barren woman, with no children. Break through with the shouts of joy and jubilee, for you are about to give birth. The one who was once considered desolate and barren now has more children than the one who has a husband. Dear friends, just like Isaac, Paul is talking we're now the true children of who inherit the kingdom promises. And just as the son of the natural world at that time harassed the son of the, of, of born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. Let me tell you, religion is, it will do emotional damage. I've seen it. I, I've asked God to heal my thinking. Because I, I could never seem to fix me as I thought I was supposed to. That if I, if I was good enough and I, I was do the right thing, that God would change his mind about me and he would be okay with me. And I found out that, uh, let me tell you what the Holy Spirit revealed to me when I was at Turning Point yesterday. It was amazing because he, he just, I know it's so simple and I knew it came from him because I spent so much of my youth trying to convince God right? And we do, even in adulthood, we try to convince God. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, yeah, you tried to convince me till I was able to convince you. So, so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to convince us. And that's scripture because John 16, Jesus said, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he's going to guide you into all truth. He is going to convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because the, the, there's people who don't believe in me. That's sin. That, that's the kind of sin. Sin is hamartia. It means to miss the mark or or to be without a share in. It means to live outside the blueprint God created for us. And let me tell you, if, if there are people who are doing that now, but I can tell you, God won't kick you to the curb. But He will extend amazing grace and opportunities to help us to br bring us into the revelation of wisdom, to live in the blueprint that He created for us. 
that he created us for. And our purpose, you know, I used to think my purpose was to, to do missions. My purpose was to pastor. My purpose was, but I was all wrong. My purpose is to be loved by the Father, and so is yours. I have gifts and callings. He gifted me to pastor. He gifted me to do missions. He gifted me to do music. Those are gifts, and I give those back to him. But I found out my purpose here is like Paul said, in him we live and move and have our identity. This beloved identity is not about performance or perfection because we know there's only one who was perfect. But he will perfect that that concerns me as a passage of Scripture. He's looking for permission. So I got to give him permission. Lord, you, you know my thinking. I, I think that it's really a, a precarious place to get to where you think you figured it out. I don't think eternity will be long enough. <laughs> I don't think eternity will be long enough. Because I believe that it'll continue to be an unfolding of the nature and the true character of the Heavenly Father that, that so revolutionizes and brings wholeness from the inside out. And so he says, he said the, he's quoting from Isaiah 54, now verse 28 and Galatians 4. Dear friends, just like Isaac, were now the true children who inherit the kingdom promises. And just as the son of the natural world at that time harassed the son born of the power of the Holy Spirit, so it is today. What does the scripture tell us to do? Expel the slave mother with her son. Expel, well, now what do they represent? What does Hagar, the, the, that, that's true, but, but Hagar represents the law. Ishmael represents self-effort because that's what happened. It was through Sarah and Abraham and their self-effort trying to help God out. Come on, somebody. I feel good. That's exactly right. Even when he... Do you understand that this was a, a, a process of maturing for Abraham? Even when he got into Egypt, he, he lied. Because he was in fear. His faith hadn't fully developed, but God was maturing him. He even he lied twice. It happened twice because he's afraid of being killed for his wife. So she was such a looker. And, and he said, you're, you're a beautiful woman, so let's tell him you're our sis, my sister. Well, you can fool some of the people some of the time, but you can't fool all the people all the time because the king's looking out the window one day and Abraham is sporting, you know, with Sarah. And he calls him in and says, why did you lie to me? I could have been killed. <laughs> God could have struck me dead if I had touched that woman because she belongs to you. And, and, and he knew that because God had given him a dream. Don't touch that woman. So you understand the protection of the father. This is more than just about protecting Abraham and Sarah. This is about covering and protecting the covenant that he's, bring, that he's going to bring us into. It's about preserving what he wants to bring humanity into. And so he says, expel the slave mother with her son. Get, 
expel the law and self-effort. Remember when they're standing at the Red Sea and they want to stone Moses? They want to go back. It would have been better up for us. Do you bring us out here to die? Did God bring us out here to die? And, and, and so Moses is talking to God, Yahweh, the Father, and says, these people want to stone me. What do we, what do, we do? We're hemmed in. They're in a perfect cul-de-sac. Pihiroth, Migdal, and the Red Sea, and Pharaoh's armies bearing down on them. They are hemmed in, nowhere to go. And here's what the Father tells Moses. Tell them to, take, to stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Now, remember, Isaiah, what is it? Psalm 46.10 says, stand still, be still, and know that I'm God. He wants us to be relieved of the anxiety and, and, and all of the, 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 the worry and the stress so he says, tell them to stand still. That in the Hebrew is real strong. It means take your, tell them to take their hands off of this thing. This is mine. Just tell them to stand still and watch so we know what happened. And so he says, the son of the slave woman will not be a true heir. For the true heir of the promise is, is the son of the free woman. It's now so obvious. We're not the children of the slave woman. We're the supernatural sons of the free woman. Sons and daughters of grace. Whoa. Now let's look at Galatians 1 just for a moment. We got to go here. Because this is the letter. We're going to start in verse 6. Especially verse 6, 7, and 8. Because... The Holy Spirit continues to unravel some things in me. I'm telling you, I have so much freedom and so much liberty. No, it doesn't. It's, you know, so many people said, you better be careful about that grace because it's given people a license to sin. No, it's not. It holds us at a higher standard, but he does the work and it gives us the power to overcome what's always kept us in bondage. That's what grace is. It's the freedom to be free from the works gospel. And he said in verse 6, look what he said in verse 6. Paul said, I'm shocked over how quickly you've strayed away from the one who called you in the grace of Christ. Now, you, you know that these, once again, these could probably be young Christians who are gullible. I'm astounded that you now embrace a distorted gospel. And let me tell you why it's distorted. It's because when they came in, they, they, maybe they said, well, the grace is good, but there's something else you need to do. You need to be circumcised. There's something, you just, it, before you can get saved, you got to do this. This is in the law. Now watch what he says. He said, this is a fake gospel. Now, I like the passion because he, he brings it out from the Aramaic and, and even the Greek. But he says, this is a fake gospel that's simply not true. There's only one gospel. The good news of Christ. Yet you have allowed these who, those who mingle law with grace to confuse you. Mingle law with grace to confuse you. That's what they're doing. 
But even if an angel from heaven should preach, or we should preach a gospel different than the one we preach to you, let him be under God's curse. Now, that's pretty strong language. But notice verse 9. Let me make it clear. Anyone, no matter who they are, that brings you a different gospel than the gospel that you've received, let them be condemned and cursed. I'm obviously not trying to flatter you or water down my message to be popular with men, but my supreme passion is to please God. For if I attempted to please people, I would fail to be a true servant of Christ. Now, he talks about mixing the law with grace. Now, if you go to Ephesians 1, I think it's, no, I'm sorry, chapter 2, might be verse 8. Let's just check it out and see. Yep, verse 8. Notice what he writes to the Corinthians, I mean the Ephesians. For by grace you have been saved by faith. Nothing you did could ever earn this salvation. Now, he's, in the King James, it says, he says, not of works, lest any man should boast. He said, nothing you did could ever earn this salvation for it was the love gift. Oh. The Aramaic word for gift is mohabata. M-O-H-A-B-A-T-A. It comes from the Aramaic word chav, C-H-A-V, which means love. It's good stuff. Mohabata. He said it's a love gift from God that brought us to Christ. So no one will ever be able to boast for salvation is never a reward for good works or human striving. The message religion will always have is one. Try harder. And, and I can tell you, That'll leave you high and dry. But the moment, he said, just stand still. Take your hands off of this thing. You need to come into the full provision of the completed work of Jesus. You need to come into the place where you are accepted in the beloved, not because of anything you've done, because of everything he did. And, and so he says, now I want you to look at the ver next verse. We've become his poetry. The, the King James says workmanship. That's masterpiece. It's a beautiful Greek word that's translated poem or poetry. Uh, it's the poetry written by God and it still speaks forth. He said, a recreated people that will fulfill the destiny he's given each of us for we're joined to Jesus, the anointed one. Even before we were born, God planned in advance our destiny and the good works. Now, what does that works mean? These are works that come because the Holy Spirit is, we've totally surrendered and I told a young man yesterday, I said, I said, let me tell you, I believe that your best days are ahead because the Lord is opening doors with a revelation so that when you get, I said, you, you don't have to make the, the ministry happen. I know from experience. You got to say yes to the Holy Spirit. You got to be led by the Holy Spirit, but you'll know it when you get to it. 
It's been that way over and over and over in my life. I knew it when I got to it. When, when God, I knew that was the call. And he given me grace to do it. So when you think about these works, he said, our destiny and the good works we would do to fulfill our destiny. So look at verse 11 and 12. So don't forget you were not born as Jews and were uncircumcised. Circumcision itself is just a work of man's hands is in the parentheses. You had none of the Jewish covenants and laws. You were foreigners to Israel's incredible heritage. You were without the covenants and prophetic promises of the Messiah, the promised hope and without God. Yet look at you now. Everything is new. Although you were once distant and far away from God, now you've been brought delightfully close to Him through the sacred blood of Jesus. You have actually been united with Christ. Now, over and over, you find these, the word union. You find the word unity. Remember, Jesus is in the garden. He's praying in John 17. He said, Father, I pray that they become one as we are one. Remember Elohim? Father, Son, and Spirit are one, but they're all three at work in creation because the Bible said in the beginning, Elohim, Father, Son, and Spirit, created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, and darkness covered the face of the deep. And the Spirit moved on the waters. There's two, right? Elohim is all three, but we know the Father is present. The Holy Spirit now is moving on the waters. And the Bible said, God said. There's the word. Let there be light. Now, if you go to Colossians 1.17, it says everything was created by him. Now he's talking about Jesus. For him and all things consist by him. It's held together by him. Do you know that he never, ever stops thinking about each one of you? There's not one millisecond that the Father stops thinking about you. Not one. David said, if I were to try to count the thoughts you have for me, it would be like trying to count the, sand, the, the grains of sand on the seashore. There, there's too many. Because you're constantly thinking of me. Whoa. Do what? He can't. Oh, yeah, he could count them. He could give them names. Yeah, he could just tell you right off the... He wouldn't even have to calculate that. That's exactly right. No, no. He's, he's, it's amazing. So, so that brings me to the Matthew 6 that Jesus was teaching. If he sees the sparrow fall, if he sees close the lily of the field and Solomon in all his glory was not decorated like one of these how much more will he see you if he sees the sparrow guess what he sees you if he clothes the lilies guess what he's going to clothe you and he's going to feed you 
He's going to take care of you. I've come to the place anymore where I realize that I want to be constantly aware and acknowledge the presence of the Lord. Uh, when we got up, this, my wife had to get up at 2 because it takes her a little longer to get ready than me. And, and uh, don't tell her. I'll tell her if I want her to know that, right? <laughs> so, so, no, I'm just kidding. She, she knows. Uh, but, but I uh, was thinking about today, and I said, Lord, I want to be a witness. I want to be a representative. A representative. The Bible, Paul said, we are ambassadors. Do you know an ambassador from another country? They, they usually have an embassy they live in. But that embassy, they speak the language of the mother country. Whoa. Guess what? Everything they need to impact the country the embassy is in the wealth, the economy, the influence, everything they need is at their disposal. Come on, do you see where I'm going? <laughs> so we, oh, Jesus. So, oh, that's so, that's like a river. You think about this connection, this life that we carry. Jesus said in John 7, remember, this is grace. This is grace. This is the love gift. When the, those who practice the law are coming down the streets on the great day of the feast and the priests, they, they have palm branches. They're waving palm branches. It's the last day of, of uh, several days of the, of the great feast and they're approaching the pool of Siloam. I've been to that pool and what's so amazing is bigger than they first imagined because they continue to uncover part of the pool of Siloam that, that they realize it's bigger than they thought. Miss Cheryl's been there. And, and the priests would come down with their chalices because water has always been a problem in Israel. I mean, we drank bottled water. They told us not to drink any tap water. And, and so they would, they would, there'd be throngs of people there. So they would dip their chalices in the pool. Remember, that's the same pool Jesus told the blind man. Go wash. That was so good. That's right. He went to the pool of Siloam. And he came seeing. Jesus. Now that's chapter 9. Chapter 7, Jesus has already been there. And made an announcement. While they're practicing the law. And the law was just a schoolmaster. And I'm not saying they were doing anything wrong. They just didn't have the revelation that was about to come. Because they would pour the water out. The priests would pour the water out in the streets and, and say, this is not for you. This is going to be, one day this living water is going to be poured out, but it's not today. It's not for you. Jesus was standing in the crowd. 
And he sees this. And I believe he is like a trumpet because he wants everybody to know. If any man thirst, let him come unto me. And as the scripture has said, he that believes in me out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Look at your neighbor and tell him, I got a river. I got rivers. You got rivers. He said rivers of living water. <coughs> living water. So we become the outflow of, of, of who's resident inside of us. Somebody, you know, I used to say, well, you got to be careful if you pray for patience. Do you know if the Holy Spirit's living inside of us, we already have it? All the fruit of the Spirit are there. He's just waiting for us to grow into the place where we become the manifestation of the love, the joy, the peace, the long-suffering, the meekness, the temperance, the, uh, the, the, the faith, and, and all of those beautiful uh, expressions of the fruit of the Spirit. So what does that mean? What does it mean? And he talks about it in Galatians 5. Just past Galatians 4, he talks about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. So what does that mean? That means that we become, grace gives us the freedom to bear fruit, even if it's January. Come on, I've never picked strawberries in January. I've never seen peaches. Even in February, they're still, the, the trees are bare. It won't be long, they'll start blooming. Some already started. But imagine what would happen if you drove by a peach orchard in, in the most frigid cold weather and you saw a tree out there covered in leaves with big old peaches hanging off of it. <laughs> I would, amen, I would praise the Lord. I would call the news. I'd call, I'd call somebody. I'd call you. <laughs> I want you to come see this. Yeah, get some ice cream. <laughs> this, this is... So, so I want you to put yourself like that peach tree. That's what Jesus did for us. In the most adverse conditions. In the most harsh, pressing times. When you, and, and let me tell you, I've been there. When you feel like you don't measure up. How can I love when I don't feel loved? When I don't feel like I'm lovable. Come on, somebody. But you know what I found out? That's not his idea. That's not the father's idea. He's not waiting for me to get it right so he can call me his son. Jesus would have never told the parable of the prodigal son. Do you know that prodigal son never stopped being the father's son? Even though he left home, spent all his fortune, his father's fortune, and found himself in the pig pen. He never stopped being, he just didn't know it. He had lost sight. He wasn't himself. 
And the Bible said when he came to himself, what am I doing here? My father's got servants and plenty of food and they got clothes and they got everything they need. I'll go back and tell my father, I'm not worthy to be your son. Just make me one of your hired servants because I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. He rehearses this. I don't know how many times he may have rehearsed it on the way to the father's house. But what he wasn't expecting is the father was watching for him. He was standing on the, on the front porch. Now, maybe he didn't have a, maybe he come out of a tent. I don't know what he, whatever he's, he's, he's looking down the road. And he sees him far off. And he recognizes. Oh. And he don't wait for him to get to him. He runs falls on his son's neck, his son begins to kiss him. And I tell people, I said, he's kissing away his shame. He's kissing away his condemnation. He's kissing away his past. And the son begins to rehearse his little speech. And the father never even responds. Because he tells his servants, go bring Shoes, bring the ring, bring the best robe. This my son was dead. Now he's alive again. So all of a sudden I find myself in a place where I don't want to get caught up in striving. I don't want to get caught up in striving to be something God already said I was. That's the same lie the devil used with Eve, remember, and Adam. Same lie. Make you believe you're not who he says you are. Nothing will change that. You're his beloved. Two things. You're going to hear me say it. Because it's, it's... Do you know that scientists have discovered, Brother John probably knows this, that in your heart there are 40,000 cells that are neurocells. Same kind of cells that's in your brain. 40,000. 1991, they discovered it. Jesus already knew that because he said in Matthew 12, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Watch, watch this. I never, it was like, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 16, boy, I got goosebumps thinking about this. He said, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the mind. Then that's why Paul says, be renewed in the spirit of your mind. (laughs) He's amazing. He's amazing. Even scientists have discovered what God already set up. And, and you can do the research. You, if you want to do the research, it's, it's important um, to, to find out these beautiful truths that God already set in motion. That, man. So this, there's a lot of people who would be healed if this right here, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Wow. So 
to be renewed. My mind, it's good to have it here, to have knowledge. And and I I believe that comes through the filter of, of our minds. But when it gets here, this thing about grace and not trying to mix works and, and mingle the law with grace, it, it can contaminate this right here and cause me to begin to look at myself in a way that God never intended for me to be and begin to see. Who did Jesus usually reach out to most? What? The worst of the worst. Who did he have the most problems with? The religious people. The people that thought they had it all together. That, that they didn't even know who he was. He, he, they, they, they called him, Jesus called them the snakes. So in one place he called them snakes. And in another place he called them children of the devil. These are religious people. Because they're trying to lead people. He said, he said in one point, he, said, he told them, he said, you won't even go in and you're hindering others from going in because of what you're trying to promote. So with that being said, I want to take you back to, to Ephesians. I'm about done. It's, it's, beginning Ephesians 1 verse 3. I want to read several verses here. So I believe it's really going to bless you and encourage you because he's already made provision. For now, if, if Peter wrote this in 2 Peter chapter 1, we've been made partakers of the divine nature. And so that we have been given everything we need for life and godliness. We've already been given everything we need. So I, I pray, Holy Spirit, teach me. Reveal to me what is a mystery to me now. Let me see myself as you see me. I'm telling you, it's changed. It's changed so many things. And I look at crisis and the struggles with a whole different perspective. It's amazing. So he says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realm has already been lavished on us. Peter echoed that, right? We've been given everything we need for life and godliness. He said, as a love gift, there he is again. From a wonderful heavenly father, the father of our Lord Jesus, all because he sees us wrapped into Christ. There's that union. This is why we celebrate him with all our hearts. And in love, he chose us before he laid the foundation of the universe. In love, he chose us. Because of his great love, he ordained us so that we would be seen as holy in his eyes. With an unstained innocence. For it's always in his perfect plan to adopt us as his delightful children through our union with Jesus. 
the anointed one so that his tremendous love that cascades over us would glorify his grace for the same love he has for the beloved Jesus. Listen to this. He has for us. King James says the same thing. It says, Father, as you have loved me, you love them. But I love the passion because it really takes it even to a deeper personal level. He said, for the same love that the Father has, Paul said, for Jesus, he has for us. And this unfolding plan brings him great pleasure since we're now joined to Christ. We've been given the treasures of redemption by his blood, the total cancellation of our sins. All because the cascading riches of His grace, this superabundant grace is already powerfully working in us, releasing all forms of wisdom and practical understanding. Now, it's amazing. So where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Father, Son, and Spirit are at work in our lives. That's not something that we got to wait till we get straightened out. We've got to surrender, just surrender and allow him to bring that wholeness and that revelation of we are, God is good and we are beloved. I think I sent that text to Russ and Jaira because I, I wanted them to know. And I just speak and I tell Jaira that that, She's, she's dealt with sickness and Russ has been there too with her. And I want to tell you that out of his love, not, of our, not out of our qualify, there's nothing we need to do to qualify for this. Jesus already qualified you for absolute healing and wholeness. And because of his love, out of this super abundant love, we just agree with what he agrees with, that by his stripes, you were healed. Amen. We agree. So that's what he wants me and you to come into the place, and we're going to pray. He wants me to come so that I begin to think like he does. I begin to see people like he sees me. That I begin to love people like he loves them. And, and I have the wisdom that comes from him. So I want to pray for you. And I want to pray in this moment. And, and uh, I, I want you to embrace this fact. It, don't allow the enemy or even in the Western culture. It, it's just amazing how we see it all the time. The mingling of the law and grace. The, the mixture that's so detrimental. And Paul's addressing that. So I believe that there's an atmosphere here that's amazing. It's just amazing. And uh, so I want to pray and, and, and I want you to, to know that he sees you and he's delighted with you. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to sit and to share your word and to hear your word. Thank you, Lord, that you establish the truth in us. So you are the truth. You're the way, the truth, and the life. 
And Lord, we are in union with you. We are one with you. And we pray, Holy Spirit, show us even in a deeper measure what that looks like. We pray, Father, that you'll draw us into that place of absolute wholeness, absolute surrender. Lord, that we would have right thinking that you would fill us with spiritual wisdom and understanding and the knowledge of you. That we would come to that place where you said, whosoever shall believe shall be saved. And Lord, we believe. And we thank you, Lord, for absolute wholeness in every life and absolute peace. Lord, that settling and, and to be free from the rage of the havoc of, of warring within over our identity, Lord. It's settled because you see us here as your beloved. And we thank you and give you praise because you do all things well in Jesus' name. Amen. Before, before we leave, does anybody have a comment or a question? That's right. That's right. There is. That's what Jesus said that. He said, if whosoever believes in me shall never die. And, and uh, he's talking to the religious crowd and they said, well, <laughs> Abraham's dead. And, and you're saying you're never going to die. And, and so it, they're looking from the natural realm. But that's exactly right. Brother John. Sixteen. And I see in each one of them <laughs> the definition for these letters in order. I see it just like they are. But it's like if you try to conceive in your mind of never having been here on this earth, you can't do it. Can't do it. And if you try to imagine dying, you can't do it. Psalm sixteen. 
That's so good. <laughs> Psalm 16 says he's put eternity in our hearts. That's good. That's good, Brother John. No, uh, no. They took a, a little pebble, and they put this pebble under an extremely strong uh, microscope that breaks things down into the atomic form. And what they find out was, now, we think of stone and rock and stuff as hard. But what happens is, when they put it to that level, it's 99.99999% air, just space, and it's a and it's abundance of activity. So you just think about it. when you step on a, a big stone or something, you're perceiving that that's just pushing up against you, and you it's impenetrable as far as you're concerned. But just imagine that in reality, it's just alive. Atoms. Just atoms. That's, Jesus, that's why he walked through the wall. He's superior. So that's good stuff. That's good stuff. So I love you dearly, and uh, I just bless you in Jesus' name. And I pray God's favor, his abundance, his prosperity, his delight is already in you, in Jesus' name. So go with the grace of God and go with X. Live a 2X life. I wear a 2X. So live with expectation and excitement.